If you have a copy of God's Word, take it this morning and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22. We have been walking through the book of Proverbs over the last few months. We'll conclude that, Lord willing, next Sunday. And as I started this series, I did the end of the series topically, as many of you know. One of the topics that is talked about a lot in the book of Proverbs that I wasn't sure I was going to address or not was the topic of parenting. But as we talked about it as a pastoral team, we decided that this week, the week after Camp 78, would be a great time uh, to discuss that. So I'm excited to be able to spend some time with you talking about this today. And I really believe that whether you have children or not, uh, there's going to be something here that's going to be helpful and encouraging for you as well. Uh, A few years ago, uh, my family used to love to watch this little show on TV called Minute to Win It. Anybody remember that show? It was a great show. Uh, basically, you had 60 seconds. You were paired up with someone. You had 60 seconds to complete a little task. And if you accomplished it, then you went to the next round. With every round, there was more and more money. And, and the game sounds simple. Uh, the difficulty was in what the challenges were. So they were things like uh, stacking seven cupcakes on your head without them falling off. right? Something like that. Uh, putting swimming flippers on your feet and laying tortillas out on the floor and flipping the tortillas up on a plate that you're holding. That was one. How many of those you could get in in 60 seconds? Uh, I remember them putting a bucket on somebody's head. It was like a hat with a bucket on top and you had to bounce ping pong balls off the ground and the wall and whoever got the most in their hat won. Something like that. So these are the just normal stuff that we do at home in the evening. So uh, a minute to win it. Now, the funny thing about watching it, I, I feel like with our family and just watching it at home, we kind of did with Minute to Win It what we do with any sports. We just look at people and think they're so dumb for not being able to do it right, right? Here we are having never flipped tortillas with flippers before ever in our life, are just confident that it's easier than it looks. And uh, so it really is fun to watch, but I always feel bad for the people on the show because uh, I do think they're aware that everyone else is at home thinking, why can't you stop cupcakes? Like, that's not a big deal. Just put cupcakes on your head. But the truth is, I would imagine that being on the show, you would come to realize that every task is more difficult than you would imagine, Uh, that the time is ticking quickly, there's a ton of pressure, and you have the reality that every single person out there is judging how well you're doing. And that is what it feels like to be a parent. There's a lot of pressure, the time seems short, and everybody is judging how well you're doing. Do you ever feel that? Remember when, when Andrew and I were just had young kids and we would go to a restaurant and I would see some young couple look like they just got married and they just had this condescending look because our kids weren't behaving. I would just smile at them and just quietly just pray, Lord, I haven't asked for a lot lately and I won't ask for anything for a few more days. Lord, would you just give me one thing? I pray that you would just bless them with a child. And I pray that that child would be the strongest-willed child that ever existed on the planet. <laughs> I can say without question, without any hesitation, with all the integrity of my heart, and I mean this, being a husband and a father is the greatest part of my life. Apart from my just relationship with Jesus Christ, I love being a parent. I love my kids. There's no place I would rather be than home. There's no people I'd rather be within my people. I just, I'm so thankful for God's grace. I mean that I just love being a parent. I love my children But I can also say with integrity, it can be really challenging. It can be really overwhelming. And the pressure can be be really intense. Andrew and I had our first child in 2004 and our last in 2015. Did I get that right? I think those dates are right. Um, 
And right there in the middle of that was what is often referred to in the 2010s, and this is a real thing, as the decade of parenting manuals. What that means is that before that time, there were some parenting books. There were a few parenting books in the 60s and the 70s and 80s. But in that decade around the 2010s, it's estimated that 75,000 parenting books were written. Working on this message and I'm sitting at my desk and I look up and I'm surrounded by books, but directly in front of me, if you came to my office, you would see this, directly in front of me is four shelves of nothing but parenting books. So that I would get up and just, just look at a few of those. And, and I made a list of just a few that I saw. Uh, first, I saw love must be tough. And right next to it was give them grace. I promise that's true. I have gospel parenting, playful parenting, common sense parenting, which seems if that was true, you wouldn't need the book, faithful parenting, intentional parenting, 25 things kids must know. Five conversations you must have. Seven secrets to parenting. The 10 commandments of parenting, and I love this one. 23 huge mistakes parents can avoid. Well, how can you not buy that book? Like I love just this awareness when you look at that book that there's 23 massive mistakes that I'm making, but this book is gonna show me how to avoid all 23. The truth is, there's a lot of help in those books uh, but at the same time, the amount of resources that we have can often hurt us more than it helps us. It can often leave us with a sense of, of being overwhelmed. I didn't even know about any 23 of these huge mistakes that I was making until I read this book, and now I'm afraid of all of them. And I think sometimes uh, we find ourselves so inundated with resources and helps uh, that it can make parenting a little bit more, more challenging. I remember when Andrew and I were, were first having kids, we were in this little church in, in Little Rock, Arkansas, and everybody in the church was having kids. Like, it was just, everybody's having kids. And everybody was reading this one book. And this one book taught you how to make sure that all of your children slept through the night as early as possible, but in order to do that, you had to feed them on schedule and pick them up on schedule. Like, everything was directly on schedule. And part of that was, if they're on the right schedule, you wake them up in the middle of the night and feed them. Can I just say right now, as a parent of five children, unless my house is on fire, I'm not waking up a kid in the middle of the night. But I do remember as we begin to have more and more children being aware that although there may be some wisdom in this book, and I could do like three sermons on that book, I won't do it, but every kid's not the same. And every parent's not the same. But yet coming with a book like that was not only something that might be helpful, but potentially with a massive amount of guilt. And statistics tell us that now every single year, listen to this, $231 million in America is spent on parenting books and $141 million on parenting apps. I think about the fact that I'm a, I'm a child of the, of the 1970s and there wasn't a lot of parenting books and we didn't wear seatbelts and we had no dietary restrictions. We didn't know that was a thing. And we rode our bikes out in the morning. We came home late at night and we all made it. Somehow we made it. Most of us needed counseling, but we made it. We were, we we're fine. No, but the truth is, I just think about how different parenting seems to me today and how overwhelmed parents are and all of the things they're doing that thousands of years before us weren't really necessarily a thing. 
What I find fascinating is in the midst of all of the information we have about how our kids should sleep and what they should eat and all of those things, it seems really interesting to me that there is one book we've seemed to forgotten. I don't know why it is that we feel as if somehow God has nothing to say about parenting. Parenting was God's idea. The family was God's idea. People used to say all the time, well, you know, those kids don't come with a manual. Well, they kind of do. Like God really has given us wisdom. And it's the kind of wisdom that gives us encouragement and hope. It does challenge us. There is something heavy and weighty about the responsibility of parenting, which when we read the word of God, we should feel. Yet at the same time, if we will look to this book as the primary means by which we want to understand what it means to be a parent, then I think what we will find is we will find a lot less guilt and a lot less of the, of the overwhelming feeling that, that you're doing something terribly wrong. The truth is, and let me just say this right at the very beginning, you're doing stuff wrong and you're messing up your kids. Can we just say that? Because you're broken and you're human and you're a sinner. Your kids are being raised by people who are big sinners. And you're not gonna get it perfect. But God wants to instruct us in the way and give us some wisdom in parenting. Now, I would say the challenging thing to me about, about this sermon, there's a lot of challenging things about this message, but... One of the most challenging things is I'm seeing today in this generation two really distinct camps of, of parenting. And there's a thousand in between. But I'm seeing on this, on this hand the parents that just aren't parenting. Their kids are making the decisions. Their kid's schedule is determining the schedule of the family. Uh, the kids are running the show. We're giving our children phones and we're not putting any protections on them. I feel like there's just kind of head in the sand. I'm gonna act like nothing's going on. And if I act like everything's okay, everything's gonna be okay. It's almost like a non-parenting but still child-centric model. But on the other hand, what I'm seeing probably even more and more of is this over-informed overwhelmed, overbearing, overprotective, anxious, and fearful parent that is just like worried about everything. And I don't think either one of those are God's design. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And they need to know from their parents that they're a blessing. And you need to be reminded that they're a blessing and a gift from God. And so what I want to do is I want to take one little verse that you know, very familiar verse from Proverbs 22, and I want to give you uh, some three general areas of parenting that the Word of God tells us about. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says this, and you could probably quote it without me reading it, but it says this, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, some of you immediately say, I don't like this verse because I don't know about the ending there. I've known a lot of good parents that, that did everything right and their kids rebelled against God and the church. Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. The truth is, is, is there's something we need here. There's some just really good, broad and general instruction, which is good because every kid is different and every parent is different, but there's sufficient information we need here on parenting. The first thing I want you to see is this. I want you to see the responsibility of parenting. Get that down, the responsibility of parenting. All right here in one phrase, train up a child. This is the responsibility of a parent. That is a very important little phrase right there because it does remind us that, that God designed family in such a way that children have parents. Why? Because children need 
parents. They need you parents to be the adults and they need to be the kids. So the responsibility is to train up a child. Now that word train can have two different meanings. I think both of them are alluded to in this text. It's only used five times in the Old Testament. Four of those times it's used to dedicate something or inaugurate something. So you could find this word train at the dedication of the temple. So what it would mean in that moment at the dedication of the temple is you would have a moment where you would stop and you would see the temple completed there and you would need just to be reminded that 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 temple is a gift from God. And it was God's idea and it's to be used for for God's purposes. And so we stop and kind of have this moment of, of humbling awareness that God, this was created for you and for your glory and so we use it for your purposes and we dedicate this to you. That's exactly what it means here with our children. Part of the training up a child is this, is this moment of, of dedication. So that you say, well, why do we dedicate children on Sundays oftentimes? Well, because it's biblical. Because there needs to be a moment in the life of every parent in which you stop and you recognize this child is a gift from God. It belongs to the Lord, ultimately not to me. It's just been entrusted to me for a period of time. This child exists for your glory. You have given it to me that I might train it in the way in which it should go. But Father, right now we take this, this child and we surrender it to you. We trust you with it. We trust in your grace and your kindness and your sovereignty. We ask that you would help us. And so we dedicate ourselves this moment to raise this child in a way that glorifies you. Like every parent has to come to that moment. Every parent has to come to the moment where they acknowledge that what is happening here is something that God has called them to. Not all of you have been called to be parents. If you have been called to be a parent, you have been called into the task of training up a child. But that word train also has the meaning that we would imagine, the meaning of instructing and discipline and developing behavior to navigate it in the right way. This is part of the responsibility we have. So I, I think a great way to understand that is kind of a New Testament version of this word would be in uh, 1 Timothy 4, 7. This is, I think, a really important cross-reference to this verse, which says, train yourself or discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So what that means is this. At some moment in your life, you have to come to a time in which you acknowledge that you're a sinner separated from God and headed to an eternity in hell. And the only one that can save you from your own sin is Jesus Christ. And the way in which you're saved is by trusting that Jesus died, not for his sin, but for yours. And you call upon the name of the Lord, you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and he saves you. But, but that's not the end, that's the beginning. So some of us think, well, I did that, I'm good. No, it doesn't work that way. There, there's often this idea, well, I made that decision, I prayed a prayer, I, I did this. No, that's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus in which you continue to trust and follow him. And that life of trusting and following Jesus demands discipline and training. It just does. Why do we need a church? Because we need to be trained on how to follow the Lord because we don't know that on our own. Why do we need community groups? Because we need training and accountability to make sure we're following the Lord. Why do we need Wednesday evening classes? Because we need training to learn how to follow the Lord. So all of us need discipline and training. And if we're gonna follow Jesus, that life demands what everything else in our life demands, and that's some discipline and training. And so we discipline ourselves to wake up early and to spend time in God's word and memorize scripture. And so it is that part of this idea of training is, is the discipline the instruction 
of taking a child and helping them to understand what is right and what is wrong, protecting them and leading them in the way that the Lord wants them to go. It means working and and molding and instructing and charging them and encouraging them and forming them and disciplining them so that they might know the Lord. In other words, there's more to parenting than providing and giving a loving home and a loving environment. We've got to train children. They've been given to us for that purpose. Now, the reason that's true is because of what it says a few verses down. Look at 22, verse 15. The reason this matters so much is because Proverbs 22, 15. We have to understand, so we get these little kids, and they're cute, and they're sweet, and, 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 and we just ooh and awe, and we love them, but we have to understand what is under all of that cuteness is a bunch of foolishness. Look at verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. That word there, bound, means tied secure with a rope, which means their hearts, their little souls are captured. They're entangled by foolishness. They're a prisoner to foolishness. And sometimes we have a hard time believing this, but Ephesians 2, Romans chapter 3 is very clear that every one of us are born spiritually dead, spiritually doomed, We are separated from God. We do not what is right and what is wrong. And a child is, by its very nature, foolishness. And it's not foolish. And they're not just foolish. They're bound in foolishness. Their their hearts are bound up in this foolishness. They don't know what's right. And and part of the absurdity of of what we're hearing so much now, particularly uh, within the trans movement, is this idea that the parent doesn't have the right to tell a child what gender the child is. Well, that's demonic and completely ungodly because a child's heart is bound in foolishness. And that's the reason children have parents because parents have the wisdom that they need to say that's not right. You're five, you don't know what you're talking about. So this whole idea of allowing children to determine these type of things and be leading in these directions is exactly the opposite of the kind of parenting God has called us to as we are the ones who have been called to train because their hearts are bound in foolishness. It says in Proverbs 14, 12 this, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. So let me tell you something, if children are not trained and taught in the things of the Lord, they will always choose the way that they think is right, but it is not the right way. And they don't know the difference, and so God gave them parents to help them understand those things. And that's the reason that next little phrase is important. Train up a child, dedicate them to the Lord, lead them in the right direction, instruct them, encourage them, but listen, in the way he should go. Your child does not know the way that he should go, but you do. And so parents are not following their children around as they choose the direction. There is this this parenting that is like everything is is surrounded by everything the kid wants and and all the desires the kids have. And so there's parents with like no margin and, and, and the child is controlling everything. But the reality is they don't know the direction they're to go. You are to train a child in the way he should go and you know that better than they do. And the only way we can really understand what that means is by understanding Proverbs as a whole 
which the entire book of Proverbs is about two competing voices and two competing ways. There's the way of folly and the way of wisdom, which is New Testament believers. We see that as the way of following Christ and the way of following the world. And these conversations that the father and mother have with the son in Proverbs 1 through 7 begin in Proverbs 1 verse 7, where the father says to the son, son, the first decision you have to make is the decision to fear the Lord. What that means is this. The first decision you need to make is the decision to trust and follow Jesus Christ. Parents, our primary responsibility is make sure our kids understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. They cannot understand it unless you understand it. The church exists to come alongside of you to help you in this, but it is not the church's primary responsibility to teach your kids about Jesus. It's your responsibility to talk to them about Jesus. And you begin with the gospel. And then you help them to understand the gospel, and the rest of Proverbs shows that after that decision is made, then your job is to continue to instruct them in what is right, to show them that this is foolish and this is wise, and continue to remind them that the pathway of folly away from the Lord Jesus Christ always ends in disappointment and death and destruction, but the pathway of following Jesus leads to life. And so we say to them over and over, doing it Jesus' way is always better. Trust me, it's always better. So we train them in the way in which they should go. Mark 8.36 says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And my fear is sometimes we give our children so much, but we don't give them spiritual direction. So what I would say to you is this, what does it profit a child to gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's the responsibility of pairing. Train up a child in the way he should go. The next thing I want you to see is the role of parenting. The role, not just the responsibility, but the role. So what, what does that look like? If my responsibility is to train them up, what does that look like? What's the role? And I want to give you three roles that are clear in the book of Proverbs. Three roles of every parent. I have put purposeful in front of all of them. Purposeful discipline, purposeful instruction, and purposeful affirmation. The reason is because of that First Timothy 4, 7. We discipline ourselves, we train ourselves for the purpose of godliness. So all of my instruction, discipline, affirmation is for the purpose that I want you to know the way that is right and choose it. The first one is this. Write this down. Purposeful discipline. Purposeful discipline. There may be nothing the book of Proverbs says more about than the discipline of our children. Why? Because if folly is bound up in their hearts, the way in which you remove that folly and replace it with wisdom is through careful discipline. Proverbs twenty two fifteen. Let's go back to it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Yes, we know that. What do we do? But the rod of discipline drives it far from him. That there is a discipline that that we use, and and the reality is is there's lots of different ways in which we discipline, and a lot of that is according. I think there is there is truth here to the disposition of your children. I've had some of my children where if I look at them in a certain way, they crumble and repent of every sin, even the ones I didn't know about. I'm so sorry. Others, you look at them and they go, oh yeah? So uh, children are different. We discipline them in different ways. This is one of the most important. This is why I'm so hesitant on taking one of these books that says this is the way that it happens because the scriptures seem to give us some broad understanding of these things and then we have to, with the wisdom God has given us, know that not every book works for every kid and not every tactic works for every kid and kids need to be instructed and disciplined in different ways. But the way in which the Lord deals with us, because he loves us, Proverbs 3.11, and because he delights in us as he disciplines us for our good. 
He knows that the way in which we correct ourselves, the way in which we choose not to do this again, but we do this, is the Lord disciplines us. And that's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 12. He disciplines us for our good so that we might share in his holiness. And so Proverbs 13, 24 says this. He who withholds his rod hates his son, but he who loves him, listen, but he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 23, 13 through 14, do not hold back discipline from your child. Although you strike him with a rod, he will not die. You shall strike him with the rod and rescue his soul from Sheol. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom. This is so important. Please listen to this. But a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. So we can't let our child act like the parent. A child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Diligent discipline is commanded, and it is one of the primary ways in which we remove folly. Laws have different ways to discipline, but there cannot be a home, a godly home, without consequences for disobedience. We're not faithful in our discipline, then what the proverb says is we ruin our children because we leave them to folly. Second is purposeful instruction. Purposeful discipline, number one, and purposeful instruction. Consistent, careful instruction in the way of the Lord. Let me read a few verses for you. Proverbs 1, 8 through 9, it says this. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. So here's a picture of a father and mother both instructing. Proverbs 4, 3 through 4. When I was a son to my father, tender and only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words, keep my commandments and live. Proverbs 6, 20 through 23. My son, observe the commandments of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart and tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. And when you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp and teaching is a light. And reproof for discipline are the way of life. There seems to be this picture of, of a child who's growing. And as they're growing, they're away from their parents. And as they're away from their parents, they have the ability to remember what their mother and father told them. And they have the ability to choose what is right because of instruction that they were given that you were confident they weren't listening to. And it's the responsibility of a mother and a father. A mother and a father are both speaking what is right and reminding them of the things of the Lord. And at the time in which you think there's no way they're listening, it seems to indicate here that there is a time when they get older that they will remember those things. And they will have the teaching of their mother and father to think back on. One of the most important texts for, uh, for us on this is Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to bring it to your attention because God is preparing his people to enter the promised land and he's afraid. We read this in Psalm 78, this idea. He's afraid that this generation uh, in the promised land is going to neglect to teach their children the things of the Lord. And so he says three things to this generation of parents. Listen carefully. And the priority is important. Number one, parents love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Number one, love God. Number two, talk with your children about the things of the Lord. Number three, guard your own heart from idolatry. I think that's really fascinating. Because right in the middle of everything about your heart as a parent is the instruction of the children. So we seem to go directly to that. But what he says, first of all, the first thing you do is make sure you love God. 
Third, make sure you're not an idolater. Make sure you don't love a bunch of things other than God. Why? Because your kids will notice and idolatrous parents tend to have idolatrous children. Can I say that again? Idolatrous parents tend to have idolatrous children. They know what you love. They know what you care about. They know what's priority because of the decisions you make, the things you talk about, the way in which you spend your time, whether you're involved in church or not. Like all of those things, they know what your God is. So he says, watch your heart from idolatry. And right in the middle there is, and then talk to your kids about the things of the Lord. It says this, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. So there was a a real movement in the last few years to recover what was significant for generations and generations past of family worship. And I think there's something really good here about sitting down with your family and reading the word and praying together. I'm going to be really honest with you. That's never been the biggest thing at our house. Um, we have our children at the, at the breakfast table before school in the mornings. I try to read something to them uh, from the Bible, and we talk about that for a little bit. But our philosophy has been less, okay, everybody's going to sit down here and be quiet, church service in the home, and more. We just want to regularly talk about the things of the Lord. But let me tell you what I've discovered. That's impossible for me to do if I'm not walking with the Lord. That's it. Like, it's John 7, if if nothing is flowing into me from the Lord, that which is giving life to me, there's going to be nothing flowing out of me that's going to give life to my children. So what I've discovered is the most important part of parenting is your own walk with Jesus Christ. Because apart from every other thing you teach them or every place that you take them, any camp they go to or church they go to on Sunday or Wednesday, what they're going to get the most of is the stuff that is flowing through you. And that just needs to be Jesus as much as it can. One of the things that keeps me walking with the Lord the most, like one of the primary motivators, there's a lot. I don't want to embarrass the church. I don't want to embarrass my family. But I want there to be something authentic that comes out of my life that my children notice. And that's the purposeful instruction. The final one is this, is purposeful affirmation. Discipline, instruction, affirmation, purposeful affirmation. I really want you to hear me on this. I love this point. The whole context of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, conversations, a father and a son, the mother involved in those conversations. And the tone of these conversations are warning, but their affection and their affirmation and their loving and their desire from the father to the son to make sure he walks in the way that is right. And what I've discovered is discipline and instruction. So they need discipline, they need instruction, are best received in the context of affirmation. So if there's a ton of discipline, a ton of instruction, but no affirmation, then I would say that discipline and instruction will not be heard for very long. And you see this in these conversations. One of my favorite verses on parenting is 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12. 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 through 12. I commend this verse to you. It says this. Paul is talking to the believers in Thessalonica, and he says, For you know... How, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. I love this idea of exhorting, encouraging, and charging because kids need to be exhorted. We're going to see what you did wrong and we're going to speak into that and we're going to say, you're not going to talk to mom like that. We're not going to act that way in this house. We are not going to continue to ignore what we say. Like, 
That's exhorting, and that is needed in the home. I'm very thankful uh, for my father's exhortation, particularly in the way in which I talk to my mother. There's certain things that just do not need to be tolerated. But then this charging, hey, you got this. You're going to do great. Like, you got to do this. You got to step out. You got to those kind of things. And then the encouraging, which is this, this constant affirmation of, hey, I love you and you're doing great. Like that balance is really important. And what Paul says is this is the way in which a father and a mother speak to a child. We charge, we exhort, and we encourage. And so we have to discipline and instruct. We have to do those things. You cannot neglect those, but we need to do it in the culture of of affirmation. So what I often say is this, for every bit of discipline and maybe instruction you give, there should probably be to one part of that, five parts affirmation. You say, where do you get that? Let me tell you one place I get it, apart from 1 Thessalonians and Proverbs. Baptism of Jesus, Jesus is getting baptized. God the Father opens up heaven and he looks at his son and says verbally out loud, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So here's what God the Father says to his son. I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm so glad you're mine. This is my, this is my, that's mine, he's mine. And I love him and I'm proud of him. That's what every child needs to receive from their father, and most of you didn't. And if you didn't, and you might never, will you get it from the Lord? And so the father looks at you and he says, I love you, and, and I'm glad that you're mine, and I'm so proud of you. But it is that kind of talk that needs to come from a parent to a child. I love you, I'm proud of you, and I'm so glad that you're mine. Let me just say one thing here before we close in just a minute. That kind of, of atmosphere in a home really comes from a parent's spiritual and emotional health themselves. If you're just angry all the time and and grumpy all the time and irritable all the time, that's because there's a lack of spiritual and emotional health in your life. And so I just want to plead with you again, as you work on yourself and as you walk with the Lord and you get around some men and women in your community group that can call out these things and they're around you enough to see these things, they're in your home and they see these things and they can encourage you in these things as you are continuing to grow. And all of us are messed up and all of us have issues, but I've discovered that the more I'm growing into spiritual, emotional maturity, the way in which God is is moving me and, and I'm confronting my own grumpiness and sinfulness the more that I'm able to offer that atmosphere in the home. And that's our role. Let me just say, last of all, the reward of parenting. Responsibility, the role, and the reward of parenting. Even when he is old, you will not depart from him. I've known a lot of godly parents who have grown ungodly children. I've known a lot of ungodly parents that have godly children. You say, well, what do we do with that? Like, I know families, man, they did it right. As far as I can tell, they did it right. And no one does it perfect. They did it right. And their children grew up and just went off and they don't love Jesus anymore. Well, part of that is, is the genre of literature. We're, we're in this wisdom literature in which what we see in moments like this is principles and not promises. This is a general principle. It is the wisdom of God saying this is the way in which life works best. And you know how life works best? Life works best when parents take up the responsibility to parent. Life works best. Anyway, life works best when parents do what God has called them to do. But it's not a promise. It's not a formula. You do this, they're going to end up like this. And there are a lot of grown 
children whose parents feel incredibly guilty because they're not walking with the Lord and you feel like it's your fault. And here's the thing, although it's true that your parenting matters and every bit of instruction matters, even the parenting of the parents whose children grew up and walked away from the Lord, that parenting matters. At some point in every person's life, they have to decide for themselves whether they're gonna trust Jesus. They have to decide for themselves whether they're gonna choose the way of wisdom or the way of folly because they're human beings. You can't force them into making those decisions. You instruct them, you discipline, you do everything, you affirm, and then you rest in a sovereign God and you pray like crazy. You don't feel guilty because the reality is there's only one perfect father. You've heard this before and his children rebelled. Adam and Eve, given the perfect atmosphere with the perfect father, chose to walk away from it. The entire nation of Israel, the children of God, given everything that they needed and an abundance of everything and shown the way of life, chose to reject it and walk away from it. I feel like there is among some parents these days, and it really burdens me. I, I, I could speak so much about this, I'm not, but just this obsession with getting it all right. They gotta do the right things and eat the right things and hear the right things. Just, oh, and I just wanna say, hey, hey, hey. You walk with the Lord, you pray. You instruct your children in the way of the Lord and then you rest in a good, gracious, kind, sovereign God who has the ability to make up for the thousand mistakes that you're gonna make. At the end of the day, the one thing that matters most is your authentic, real relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I just wanna say, if you don't have that, like nothing else really matters apart from that. It begins with your moment of coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm ready to give my life to you. I want you to lead me in the way that is right, and I want to lead my family in the way that is right. Nothing matters until you get right in that relationship with God. And it is that healthy relationship with God that flows through to a healthy relationship with those in your home.